And there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my non-binary friends, welcome back to another amazing episode of Mental Health Mondays. Y'all ask the questions. I do my best to try and talk us through some of the shizballs we got going on in our life. And this is going to be episode number six. And I've loved it. Every single week, you guys come back with amazing questions that not only help me think more, but truly some of these things I think about when we get off stream, some of these things I'm like, how can I, what can I learn about to best be able to explain this? How can I articulate these points better? What analogies can I create? So this has been not only amazing for those of you that are able to get those questions answered, but selfishly, it's been amazing for me. So I thank you guys for being vulnerable enough to ask these questions and to keep coming back. It's awesome. And I greatly, greatly appreciate it. So we are going to start off this week pretty much how we usually do with a question from our one and only Courtney S who asks, what strategies do I use to identify how and why I'm feeling how I feel in moments where emotions and stress are running high? Gosh, darn it, man. Courtney always coming through with the amazing questions. So let's start off with what strategies I use to identify how I'm feeling. So that is one of the most important aspects when it comes to just self-realization, right? If you don't know what you're feeling, or if you don't know that you're feeling We all can feel a certain way, right? Let's say I'm about to go on a date. I have a certain feeling that I get. Now, the first step is A, feeling that, right? So many of us, I feel, block, or at least, I can at least say as men, we are taught that we shouldn't feel our feelings. If we're feeling a certain way, that we push that down and... So over the course of time, we stop actually realizing like what we're feeling. We don't, yeah, we might be aware of the fact that we're quote unquote feeling something, but in regards to its relation to what we're feeling, like there is none, right? So at first, I, I, you have to become comfortable with feeling all of your emotions, um, so I know as someone who previously would use weed to combat how I'm feeling, one of the first steps is not running to escape the emotion the first time you feel it, right? Because you need to feel it in order to then identify what that is and then to identify what is causing that and then get to a point where you can either just stay away from that thing because you're not at a place of being able to engage with it, i.e. lowering your reactivity towards that thing. Um, and then once you're there, you can start to navigate it a little bit more. So the strategy that I use to identify is truly just feeling. I, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to articulate too much more than that because wow, this is so, it's, it's like taking me back to when I first started learning about these things. Um, so let's say, let's use the, the first date example. Um, 
I start, I, I'm starting to get ready for my first date and I start to get a little bit of ang- uh, a little bit of tightness in my chest. So one of the things that I will do as opposed to continue, continuing to keep myself busy is I will stop and I say, oh, okay, what's that? What's that feeling? What, what is that literally like not, I don't have to get any more cerebral than that, but it's what am I feeling? Okay. My heart's beating a little bit faster. My chest is tightening a little bit and my thoughts are, are starting to run a little, run a little rampant. Okay. All right. And then from there, I know what I'm feeling. Boom. First, first step, easy peasy, not as easy as some as, as you would think, but easy peasy, right? Now from there, I take inventory on what is happening around me. First, I go proximity. You know, is there anything uh, uh, around me that could be causing me to feel this way? No, I'm in my room. Then that means that it's probably nothing in my room that's having to do this thing. Then I will start to maybe allow myself to be like, oh, where is my mind going? What is, what is going on there? If it's not in my immediate space, what about the future or outside of this room is causing me stress? And then I can be like, oh my gosh, I have a date that I'm nervous for. I've never been, I haven't been on a date in a while. Oh, and then I start to, and this is also, this is a beautiful gift that I've given myself because I'm always in a routine. Being in my routine allows me the opportunity to be very aware of what new might be making me feel a certain way, right? Because if I, if I routinely go about something and I'm feeling good throughout the entire thing, clearly something different about what I'm doing is causing me to feel this way, right? So that is where I then can say, oh, my mind is, there's, I'm not thinking about anything in this current space. Oh, my mind is constantly going to, oh, will this person like me? Am I wearing the right clothes? Is blah, 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 blah. And then from that point, I start to gather my controllables. So now that I know, A, what I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit anxious. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Then I know why I'm feeling that way. Oh my gosh, I have a first date. I've, I haven't been on a first date in, in five months. What, how is this going to go? Holy hell. Amazing. I know what I'm feeling. I know why I'm feeling it. And then I dive into, okay, what about this scenario? What about these things am I able to control? So right away, I can say, I can't control whether my date will like me or not. Okay, boom. So I can get, I, I can get rid of that. What else can I not control? Um, I can't control the environment to an extent in where we're going to the date. So if I'm a little bit nervous about it being loud or, um, you know, something along those lines, awesome. Then maybe I'll, I will shoot her a message that says, hey, I get a little nervous or overwhelmed when I go to a place and there's a lot of noise. Is it possible that we can go somewhere else that's quiet? Something along those lines. And then slowly but surely take care of the controllables. Okay, I've shaved. I know I smell good. I know I've put on deodorant. I know that the dog is is comfortable. Everything else that I'm feeling nervous about has to do with something that I have no control over that hasn't happened yet. I just have to do my best to relinquish that control and let it be. Now, during this, I'm also going to be taking some deep breaths. 
I know for myself, I like to move. So if I'm feeling a little bit anxious, I might call my friend up um, and, and just sort of explain some of the thoughts that I'm having and maybe they can help me walk through those. Maybe I'll take Nugget out for a WALK. Maybe I will uh, try and just listen to some calming music. So once I get to the point of realizing what's out of my control, I will then even more so dive into the things that I can control that I know are going to make me happy. I feel like we say this every single time. Every single one of us should have a list, if not a list, a very, very clear understanding of the things that we do or can do throughout our day-to-day that makes us feel as peaceful, joyful, and filled with love as possible, right? So for me, working on card tricks, reading, walking, talking to my friends, telling jokes, um, doing breathing exercises, going to the gym, going to jujitsu, all of those sorts of things I know will make me feel more calm, will relax my mind, And so I'm going to do my best to try and get as many of those things done as I possibly can. All of those things together will help me calm down. So that's basically my little, my little step plan is to still become still within my own body so that I can figure out what it is I'm exactly feeling. Then once I've identified what I'm feeling, I'm going to do an inventory of what's going on around me. And in my future plans and in my day that might be causing me to feel that way. Then from there, I'm going to take everything possible that I can to um, control what aspects of these uh, of this stressor that I can and take control of that. And then fourth, do my best to let everything else be. So that's my, that's my suggestion right there. And, uh, I feel like we answered that one actually a lot smoother than I had anticipated. It took us a second, but we freaking got there, Courtney. Thank you for your question. Question number two I have from the one and only Ethan L. How would you go about telling your friend to stop being a sleaze? He is engaged to a great guy who has made his life better. Your friend used you as a cover for one instance, and you didn't cover for him and told him that you wouldn't. Is it your obligation to tell his partner that he is sleeping around on him? Ooh, how would I handle the situation? Oh, this shit is always so tough, man. Um, so how would I tell my friend to stop being such a sleaze? Let's start off with the question. Is it your obligation to tell his partner that he is sleeping around on him? No. Um, It is not your responsibility to do that. However, this is where it gets relatively tricky because this is so hard, man. This is so hard because I, I would not be that person's friend. I, I, I couldn't do it. Especially if I got involved in that. Um, this is where you, I, you have some boundaries to set either. I, I, dude, I honestly, I, okay. So I'm just going to explain it how I would. There's, there's two things in my mind that you have to consider. You have to consider your friendship with this person and how close you are to them, how involved you want to be, how responsive do you think they're going to be? 
And then there's number two, which is just you're responsible to yourself, your own morals, and your own conscience. So for myself, all of my friends are in loving and amazing committed relationships. Not to say that they didn't have a loving committed relationship at one point, and not to say that some of my friends wouldn't cheat on the other. I mean, actually, they wouldn't. Like, that's just not how they are. Either way, I digress. My first step would be saying, I don't want any part of this. That's number one. You are doing something that I do not agree with. And as your friend, it is my duty to let you know that I do not agree with this. Um, depending on the level of friendship that you have with them and the level of friendship that you want to, that is where you can either, in my opinion, make one of two boundaries. Boundary number one being, I am willing to continue to be your friend, but I do not want a. I do not want to be involved in this in any way, shape, or form. I do not want to know anything about your other relationship. And at this point, I don't even want to know anything about your relationship. If we are going to continue a friendship, it is going to be uh, without me knowing anything about the fact that you're cheating or even have another partner. That's number one. Number two, well, I guess you could do three. Number two, which is almost what I would do because I, I care about people and I assume if you're good friends with this person that you might also be good friends with their partner as well. Number two can be, while I respect that you have a relationship as a man who is close, who as, as a person who is going to have to look your wife in the eyes and tell her hello or how have I been, I am not capable of lying. I am not capable of covering for you and I don't want to. So if I am asked about anything, I'm going to be completely honest. So that means we can either stop being friends or you can um, be honest with your partner because here's the thing. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cover for you. If you want to be friends, great. Just know that I'm not going to put up with this. So that's number two. And number three is just straight up saying, this is bullshit. You either tell your partner or I'm going to. So depending on the level of friendship that you have slash want to keep with this person, those are my options. Personally, um, you're saying he thinks his partner knows and accepts it because of all the stuff he buys him and lives with him. I mean, Ethan, that it, it I mean, if they're okay with it, that is where that's where this stuff can be so tricky because we've seen it in movies. We've seen it in probably play out in real life where the partner knows that they're being cheated on, but due to some dynamic in their relationship, they're okay with it because they know that the person, because they're cheating, they're treating their partner well. So, I mean, those are the options as to what should you do that is going to 100% depend on your own moral compass and your closeness towards this person and their partner. Personally, I would not be involved in any way, shape, or form. Um, I would, if, if you really like this person as a friend and this is really their only unredeeming quality, if you will, if you're able to set the boundary of just not being a part of that other relationship, not knowing about it, not hanging out with the boyfriend, whatever it might be, that's totally fine. But again, um, but the partner still texted you and said that he was with you 
and you were like, he was a few hours ago, but not right now. Yeah, Ethan, that, then that, if, if it's to the point where they're still involving you, you need to just have the conversation with the partner of, I'm not, I'm not being a part of this. Plain and simple. Do not include me. This is not something I, I am okay with. No. And then see what they say. If, if, if it's going to be one of those people that, oh, you're not really a good friend. If you wanted me to be happy, that's great. I want you to be happy, but I'm not willing to be a part of a situation that I'm not comfortable with. So, bye. That's really it. Not, I mean, I know I say that as a little bit more matter of fact and as if, as if it's a little bit easier. Yeah, the guy's your oldest friend, 20 years of friendship. Then yeah, man, that's, this is, this is the tough part. This is where you just have to set a boundary and stick with it. Um, just sit. I, it seems, it seems like you're doing a very, very good job of knowing what you're feeling good and, and wrong about. If you feel comfortable again, maintaining the friendship while saying, I'm not going to be a part of this. Great. It seems as though you guys are super close and there almost might be no way to, uh, to go about this in a way that you don't bring up the cheating and stuff like that. But I really got nothing else to add after that, man. That's where you just got to take an inventory of your own morals and what is going to cause you the most pain. You don't have to worry about him or their relationship. That's not your responsibility. What you have a responsibility is to yourself. If continuing this friendship and continuing to be a part of the lie is not making you happy, then you need to exit that way in whatever way you're able to and whatever way you see fit. If it's something you're okay with, then you just got to find a way to make yourself okay with it for most of the time. Um, so like, that's really, that's really tough, but I, I hope you're able to get a, a situation and you know, man, every Monday, if you're still trying to talk about it, we got you, we got you. All right. So next is a question from a person whose name I will read. And I already read this question, but I'm definitely going to read this out loud. I, this is one of the hardest questions to deal with. But fortunately, one that I have seen play out, so I feel qualified to answer. All right? So, my wife and I are on the rocks and have been for a long time. Our household has turned into a toxic environment, and I refuse to raise my children in such an environment. I've unintentionally met someone who lights my soul on fire in a way that has never been done before. I love my wife and my family, but it's really hard to ignore these feelings. They are mutual between the other party and myself. I don't want to leave my wife. I love her. I love this family. But where do I draw the line in toxicity and remove myself and the children from that environment? So, A, I am so sorry that you're going through this. I am so, so sorry. The marriage is tough enough. Being in a lifelong relationship with someone who's continuously growing and learning and changing can be so tough, let alone add kids to that. Because now it's not just about your happiness, but what you feel is going to be the happiest for yourself, your child, your former partner, all that good stuff. If there is one suggestion I can make to you, it is to look for Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. She was in a very, it was in a relatively similar situation. Um, her and her former husband, Craig, were married. Craig had cheated on Glennon. Glennon was, had written a book about, you know, the, the redemption of their marriage, and they had been trying to work on those things. 
But lo and behold, as Glennon was doing the book tour for this, the book tour to uh, to um, promote the book about getting back together with her husband, she ended up meeting the love of her life, Abby Wambach. Over the course of time, Glennon had to have several different conversations with those she loved in her life. You know, I'm supposed to be happy. This is my husband. What about my kids? By the way, she has two kids as well. I have two young kids. What about them? I'm feeling this relationship for this other woman who who's a woman. First of all, this is a strange feeling for me. Um, but I have a husband. I have a husband. And then one of the things that she, at least one of the one of the passages that sticks with me the most is, okay, if your daughter was in this relationship, would you want this relationship for your daughter? Meaning, would she want her daughter to know that she has the love of her life over here, but stick and be miserable for the next 18 years until the kids are off? Also, what kind of marriage, what kind of life is that modeling for the kids? that you have to choose unhappiness in order to make everyone else happy around you. So she said, no, her and Craig got a divorce, her and Abby started dating. And then however many years later, they have the most beautiful family. They are still close with Craig. The kids uh, are love Abby and everything worked out beautifully there. So now will it always work out beautifully? No, it took two people a lot of work to be able to get to the point of being to do that. But my point is, especially when it comes to the kids, you want to model you choosing the difficult loving thing. That's my perspective. I always, that's why when I talk about love, love is vulnerability, right? If you don't get out of your comfort zone and risk hurt, you will never find love. Because every time you go to flirt with someone to give someone your number, guess what? That interaction is either going to end up in two ways. One, you're going to be together forever. Or two, you're not going to be. That's it, plain and simple. So if you are already pretty damn confident, it sounds like you're confident that you know the situation that you're in is not making you happy. A, that unhappiness is definitely felt by our by your kid kids are so much smarter and are so much aware than we give them uh, so much more aware than we give them credit for there is zero chance that your kid doesn't have an uh, somewhat of an understanding or a little bit of knowledge about that now you get to give your gift uh, you get to give your kid the gift of seeing you choose happiness of seeing you make a difficult choice knowing that it'll lead you to happiness. And so while there's so many more nuanced little things that you're going to have to address and deal with being in a relationship and then falling in love with someone else, I think the first thing is to A, give yourself a little bit of slack, cut yourself a little bit of slack. If you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling any sort of way, know that I feel as though in your heart, if you knew that this person was the right person for you that you're married to and you just had to add a little work, you would do that. But it's to the point where that's not serving you. It's not benefiting your life and it's not making you happy. But what is happy is this other person. 
So I think that that's, that's what you have to do. You have to choose your happiness knowing that it will only benefit those around you. Um, and I think as long as you're able to have strong, open, honest communication with your child, that that'll make things better. Now, open and honest communication isn't always easy because guess what? There's the prospect that your child might be upset with you, might blame you for certain things, might whatever. We don't know how another person's going to feel, but there's a good chance that they, I don't know again, the relationship between your child and the mother but there's a chance it could be a, you're taking my mom away from me, that sort of deal. But again, having your parent happier, seeing your parent more joyful and able to parent you better, to me, makes it worth trying. So brother, I truly hope that you're able to get to a point where you're able to choose your own happiness and you're not able or, or not feeling guilty for it. I hope that whomever this other person in your life is, is patient and willing to go through this um, as slowly as possible with you, because this is going to be something so difficult. But I truly think that your that the happiness of your family is going to be magnified the happier you are able to make yourself and the position and putting yourself in a better position will only make everyone else more joyful and more at peace. So that might always, that might not be what happens the first, however, insert amount of time. But I can, I can really, really hope that it turns out positively for you and that choosing love for yourself and happiness for yourself will only lead to happiness for those around you. So um, yeah, that's, that's that. I appreciate you so much. I thank you so much for that question. You're a gosh darn champion. Um, so another question by the lovely Ethan already, I'm going to have a, re a gigantic response for your first thing, uh, for your first bit of this question. Do I ever find myself getting angry with nugget or puppies? Yes, yes, yes. Let's move on. I have recently been triggered by little things. Maybe it's because of all the stress piling up. Your dog reacts better to a stern voice and the cat refuses to react to anyone except you and your stern voice. Your stern voice sometimes comes off as angry and you're not physically hurting them other than picking up the cat or getting the dog to stop with a tap on the nose. What's the way I handle when things go poorly? So, dude, I love this question and thank you for asking this because you're almost helping me reflect on how I was feeling a month ago. I, I scream cried with anger during the first few days of having adopted Nugget. One of the things, shout out to my therapist for being so amazing. One of the things that I've realized about myself and I've just continued to learn is I don't, well, A, communication. Communications and expectations for me are essential. That's it. Number two, when things don't make sense or I'm not able to understand, I lose my mind. Now, you add communicating and the ability to not understand with something that really doesn't know English or how to communicate back with you. There's going to be a lot of times for some anger. So I'm, I'm trying to get this little pill into Nugget's mouth. 
she won't dry swallow it amazing i'll cut it up and i'll put it in some some of her food no she still gets it out i'll cut it and i'll put it in a piece of cheese she will eat the piece of cheese and then spit out the pill i literally had to turn scream fake punch the wall and then turn around like hi i love you nugget because i was so freaking angry so how i handle it is now i've gotten to the point of perspective of really 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 understanding well two things number one is the perspective so for example going on a walk with her when i first got her her being nugget was an awful experience here i thought dude i'm gonna be able to take just strolling walks with my dog and it's gonna be so relaxing absolutely the not it's not what instead i have to do is be on alert the entire time because if i see a dog if there's a dog that she sees within 30 feet she's going to sprint after it if she sees a, a bunny or a squirrel she's going to sprint after it if there's another dog that starts barking she's just going to start barking and trying to run in that direction that's what it was like when i first got her now you cut to a month and a half later and maybe like now i know okay I have an overexcited dog. She is going to try and get to every single dog that she sees that's close. And the more excited that dog is, the more excited Nugget's going to be back. So I have the perspective to know, oh, okay, I can in a way expect this type of behavior from her. Therefore, I am less reactive when it happens, right? If I go out on a walk, assuming that everything's going to be beautiful, and then it's all of a sudden chaos, that's going to be the easiest way for me to be angry at myself. However, if I set the tone before knowing, okay, I'm going for a walk. It's 5 a.m. There's more squirrels and bunnies out on the grass. So I'm going to have to be looking at the grass a little bit more, knowing that I'm going to have to correct her. There's not going to be as many dogs. And if they are, I know that they're going to be across the street. So I'm going to be able to go uh, walk around them, if you will. Immediately right there, I have set the expectation that things might not go well. Therefore, I am less reactive or upset when they happen, right? Same goes for the cat. Luckily, the cat has been amazing and there's not really much to go through there. But that setting of perspectives is key. And then number two, also realizing that just because it's been a month and a half and she walks better today than she ever has before, that doesn't mean that this walk is going to go as amazing as every single walk does. So there are certain times where I get back and it's almost as if we've never trained before. Now, again, it's been a month and a half. She's clearly not nearly as bad as she was, but there are certain days where we go for a WALK and it's like, dude, did you like, you're just pulling after everything you want to go get everything. And, and when I have those moments, it's one of those. Okay. That's how this is going to be today. And just sort of accepting that the walk might be a little bit more chaotic or I might be getting a little bit more frustrated. And then from there, how I react to if things are going bad, because there are certain times where I've gotten more upset and I've corrected her and I've literally told her and myself right after, like there was a little bit of anger in that correction. I'm so sorry. I won't do that again. I, I did not mean to. And I will actively like tell her that I will tell myself that. So one of the things that's helped with that is realizing that the energy that you have, and this is, I don't know how it goes, if this is just leash reactivity, whatever. For me, it usually ends up all being on the leash. Like when we're around the apartment, she's fine. Unless she's trying to chase puppies, 
Nugget in the apartment doesn't do anything that warrants a correction. It's typically when I have her on the leash and we're out and about. So one of the key things that I started to realize was, um, was that the energy that I give that lead, I only want to be positive, right? So one of the things I learned within myself is that I don't want to correct through anger. So, and speaking on your more stern voice, it, it in a way has turned unemotional. It's not, I, I don't in this, I, I actually should have, I'm going to stop and explain this earlier uh, and, and actually take this back because this all just made sense in my mind. What has helped me the most is I have stopped taking her misbehavior as a personal slight against myself. For me, I started to realize that I was correcting her or reacting in a way that I was telling myself the dog did something because she wants to disobey me, because she wants to give me shit, because she wants to blah, 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 as opposed to just saying, oh, it's a dog. If she sees a squirrel, she's going to go after the squirrel. So if she does go after the squirrel, I don't take it personal. It's not because she's trying to be a disobedient child. It's not because she's saying, oh, oh, what? he'll watch this. Let me go get the squirrel. No. And by shifting my perspective to that, it then allowed me to shift my corrections to just be matter of fact. There's no emotion. If you're going and getting the dog and I'm having to correct you, I'm not mad that I'm having to correct you over and over again. It's just what I'm doing because I'm a responsible dog owner and I have a responsibility to you to make sure that you are the best behaved dog possible. So me giving this correction isn't because I'm mad at you. It's not because I hate you. It's never for any of those reasons other than I want to be able to go as many places with you as possible by you behaving and listening to this correction. I am therefore going to be able to take you more places. You are then going to have a better life. We are going to have a better life. So yeah, that's really one of the main things, expectation setting, perspective, and then also removing the emotion from your, uh, from your corrections, not allowing the stressors of everything else that's going on in life to impact what's happening with the dog, because I can guarantee them to you, the dog is just being a dog, right? Um, so that's, that's what's worked for me. Also making sure to be able to give treats when I correct. And then they do something that, uh, that they like, because there was a, there was a few weeks where I was really only using corrections and I wasn't giving her treats and it, it didn't make me feel the best. Not that I was even correcting her in any bad way, but it was, I want to make sure that she's also, it's not just negative. It's also not, no, don't do this, but also Yay, you're doing the behavior that I want. Yay, I love this. And rewarding them there. So I hope that helped. If any of you were dog training, who would have thought that we'd be going on to that? But yeah, man, if you can change your expectations on how the dog is going to uh, perform, you have some perspective on perhaps how the dog was performing a month ago versus how they are now. And then you just get to the point of, Taking the, taking the emotion out of it and just it being, I want you to be a good dog, so this is what we're going to do. 
you're going to be a lot happier and you're going to find yourself getting a lot less angry because again, you're not doing it because you're, you're dis, disrespectful or disruptive. You're doing it because you don't know better here. Let me help you. That's also a good one here. Let me help you. Also saying to yourself, we're just learning. I don't know if that, it, what stage of learning your dog is, but saying that to myself has helped so much as opposed to like, oh, you're being so disobedient. You're not listening. No, we're learning. We're still, we're only a month and a half in, but we're still learning how to be in relationship with each other. So that's what I got for you there. Boomtown, next question. Ooh, baby, we got a lovely, 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 lovely long question here from a lovely human being. So let's get into it. And we're talking about one of my favorite things, boundaries. Boundaries are difficult to set, but are absolutely impossible to follow through on when your family depends on you. The idea of boundaries is great and relieved some thoughts by my significant other. However, I can't set them due to the complexity of my relationship. There is a slight money issue as the house I live in was inherited, uh, but parents were in the title. So giving, oh, we're in the title before giving it to you and your partner. You also had a gambling and alcohol problem when in school, which incurred a lot of debt to which some was from your parents. You owe them money for the home, but also what you borrowed. They rely on you for physical things and being the only child trying to start your own family, it's wearing on you. Disabled parents is the problem because you cannot help them or you're terrible. You encountered the problem with your grandmother and she just kept saying, your mom doesn't mean that. She couldn't get that through her head. Grandma then said, you don't Okay, so there's no questions on this one, unfortunately. Um, yeah, there's no question on that. Let me, let me see if there's a follow-up. Okay, I'm going to leave that one there. There's no question on that. Um, the, only, the only input I can say... Uh, yeah, dude. I, I really... There's so much nuance to that one, especially with the scenario that you're in. Um, yeah, dude. I, I really... If, if there was a question about that, that I could try and dive into a little bit more, but it's a little tough with, with that information given right there. So I'm just going to leave that one. If you want to add an, uh, if you want to add a little bit more, I'll leave the question there. And then if you just want to comment again, you'll be good. All right. Next question. Should you let your depression kick your ass on the sleep front or not give into it? Phil B love the question, brother. First of all, so sorry you're going through that. Second of all, that's a you question. Um, as much as I want to be able to tell you what you should or should not do, there are certain times where if I'm in a depressive mood, just sleeping helps. I go to bed, I sleep for however, pardon me, I sleep however long I have to, I wake up, I feel better. There's other times where I feel like I'm letting it win if I go to sleep. And so I'll go to the gym. I'll go for a walk again, back to that list of happy, joyful, peaceful things that we want to get into when we're feeling negatively. I, I, yeah, I would, I'd listen to yourself, man. If, if sleeping helps you go to sleep, if going for a walk is going to make you feel better, go for a walk. Um, how you choose to get yourself out of that is going to be 100% dependent on you. But start off 
You want to go to sleep? Amazing. Go to sleep. That's great. I love sleeps. It's kind of what I did the other day and it worked beautifully. And, uh, yeah. While if, if not write a list of things that you feel the most peaceful during or after you do them, whether that's reading, walking, going to the gym, crocheting, watching YouTube videos, whatever it might be. And, uh, try and see how many of those bad boys you can knock off your list. Cause that should help you a lot. You got this brother. You got this next. Uh, we have a question by an anonymous person. Um, hold on. I'm reading this one to myself. Cause it's a little bit more, uh, Uh, okay, so there's some typos in this, but this is going to be the first of this type we answer on this uh, podcast. How do I think it's the correct way to approach my long-term partner about sexual stuff? Like, what's the correct way to ask for sexy time? Um, okay. Okay. So I've constantly been struggling with that uh, because whenever I ask something like, hey, baby, is there any possibility to get it on during the, and then I don't know what that, oh, week, weeky, wet weekend, something like that. Uh, I end up getting mad at it for some reason. You want to know how to do it without causing a problem because the reaction always makes you feel dirty. So friends, open and honest communication. It's so difficult, but it's so easy. All you have to bring this up to them because here's the thing. There is no correct way to approach your partner about sexual stuff. That's it because you have some partners who might not think about as much, uh, think about it as much. So you do have to bring it up. You have other people who don't want to bring it up, who would rather it just like happen naturally. You have other people who are constantly wanting to have sex. So there's so many different dynamics when it comes to that that your best bet is just talking to your partner. Your best bet is bringing up exactly how you did with me is, hey, I'm starting to feel a little bit, uh, I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous or anxious when it comes to our sex life. I start to feel that when I bring it up, X happens or you have this reaction and that makes me feel or blah, blah, blah. How do you best want to initiate sex? You have to bring it up. Because again, this is, this is my, my just, I need to get this tattooed on my forehead is you need to communicate. You're never, you are never going to know what the, what your partner is thinking unless you ask them, unless they decide to have a new technology that shows on their forehead, exactly what they're thinking. You have to ask them and sex is no different. What do you like? What are you into? What do you not like? When are you most willing to get it on? When do you not want to get it on? There are so many things like that's one of the 100%. There are so, so, so many different like aspects of a relationship and then let alone aspects to the sexual aspect of a relationship that you're not going to get a clear answer unless you end up talking about this. Um, making sure again, that it is, it goes through the four filters that we talk about when it comes to open and honest communication. 
honest, necessary, kind, and true. If it's not any of those, then you need to figure out how to rephrase it, okay? Especially with something as delicate as sex. You have to, have to, have to make that as delicate and as safe a space to have that conversation as possible. So yeah, starting with how you feel about the situation, what you're feeling frustrated about the situation, and then bringing that to your partner and hoping that your loving and amazing partner is going to be able to have that same love and respect for you when it comes to that difficult topic. Because yeah, that's, that's never fun, but I can guarantee you talking about it is only going to make you guys happier. Only going to make you happier, man. So talk about it. I know you can do it. No pun intended. Uh, okay. Yo, next, that next question was a, was a response to us a, a, answering the question. I love it. Um, Ooh, I love this. This is from the one and only Sutton. Not a question. Just a shout out for the new 988 crisis support number for the United States. Call or text 988 in any state in the USA for a direct connection to compassionate, accessible care and support for anyone experiencing mental health related distress. Whether it's thoughts of suicide, mental health, substance use crisis, or any other kind of emotional distress. And if you are a veteran, call 988 and press 1 and it'll immediately connect you to the Veterans Crisis Lifeline you guys, seriously, you're not alone. You matter. You're cared for. You're loved. 988. There you go. Please, please, please. All right. And la. Hmm. Yeah, that's a question I don't feel comfortable answering. I appreciate you asking that. Uh, but yeah, back to communication. If you're the other person who asked about sexy stuff. Definitely talk to your partner about that. Open and honest communication. Love that, friends. Well, shoot. That was, that was one hell of a, of a mental health Monday. My goodness, friends. So I feel like if there's anything that we can... Uh, Heather, what was... Did you just ask the, that last one? Was that the anonymous cue? I definitely read what I read yours, Heather. Pretty sure. I don't know. But y'all, I feel like we're starting to run into a, a common theme every week. In your relationship, friends, try, try, try your hardest to have as open and honest communication as you possibly can. Right? If you're feeling a certain way, express that to your partner. Right. I can guarantee to you, if you're in a loving relationship, your partner's not trying to hurt your feelings. Your partner's not trying to upset you. So if there's something that they did that's upsetting you, bring it up to them. Hey, when you did this, it made me feel. And see how that goes. Number two, set those expectations. Focus on what are you expecting from a certain person? What are you expecting from a certain situation? Does the person that you're in this relationship with, do are they aware of the expectations that you have for it? If not, let them in. Otherwise, you're going to be setting yourself up for failure. And then from there, make sure that you have those boundaries enacted, right? Make sure you know where you end and that other person begins. Because if you don't, it's going to be super, super wish-washy, super hinky. And uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be super, super tough. So I love you guys. Thank you guys. Twitch, don't worry, we're not going anywhere because Mental Health Mondays is over, but the stream has just begun. I appreciate y'all. Enjoy the rest of your day, night, morning, whatever the fluff it is you guys got going on. Appreciate you tuning in for this episode of Mental Health Mondays. We will catch you next week right back here.
11 a.m. Mountain Time for another amazing Mental Health Mondays. Appreciate you and enjoy the rest of your day.